Welcome to the Game Design Hacks. I am Dale. And I'm Tom. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the Game Design of the Year Awards for 2020. Yes, all the stars are here. All the games. Oh, who's that walking down the red carpet? I see. It's uh, The Last of Us 2. Oh, man. I don't think they actually made our list, did they? They didn't make our list at all. (laughs) So, Last of Us 2, get back in your car. Yep. It's time for the 2020 Design of the Year Awards. Cue the intro. Design Hacks Game Design Awards for 2020. In this episode, we're going to be discussing some of the best and worst designs, some of the most interesting designs in games that we've played. And that's kind of regardless of the release date. Uh, it's just going to be games that are from this year. Yeah, it's uh, been kind of a interesting year. Like, I think there's a lot of games on this list which wouldn't be on here if this wasn't 2020. Yeah. Yeah, the virus has definitely affected our judgment on some of these games. Absolutely, and it's kind of uh, meant that there are a few games that have kind of cropped back up, or at least that's what I've found. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so this is from our point of view, and uh, you know, ultimately, after discussing some of this stuff, we're going to land on the Game Design Hacks official Game Design of 2020, which is the mechanic that is ultimately the best mechanic of the year, according to us. Yeah, and you know, like, you said it is our opinion, but also by sheer coincidence, these are objectively true as well. Yes, that's it. And I think maybe after each category, even though we've got separate uh, winners each, we should uh, try and figure out which one's better, even if we haven't played both of them. Yeah. No, we'll, uh, Sounds good. We'll have a little debate about it. All right. Cool. First category is the Fallout Bunker Award for Best Under Isolation Conditions. Uh, what did you have, Dale? I had... Uh, well, there were a couple in here. Uh, the couple of games that I played a bit under isolation conditions. Uh, one of them was No Man's Sky, which I didn't expect to crop back up. But it turns out multiplayer in No Man's Sky, when you're under lockdown conditions, is a good way to socialize. Yeah, the, I did notice that you um, you didn't play No Man's Sky multiplayer with me. Um, yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll have a discussion about that off air. <laughs> sure. Uh, I was busy that weekend. I was doing the washing. <laughs> um, <laughs> which weekend? All of them. And uh, Quiplash 3 was another one that uh, came up a few times. A couple of quick Zoom games. The Jackbox ones. Jackbox ones are quite decent. And I found that Quiplash 3, which was released this year, uh, got quite the work out there. Yeah. Did you play any of the other Jackbox 7 games? Uh, I don't think I did. I played a lot of other Jackbox games. So uh, one of the ones that was quite popular um, was... Uh, I've forgotten the name of it, it, but it's a game where you rap battle against each other. It's something like Rapper Robots or something like that uh, from Jackbox 5. I haven't played that one. It's pretty fun. Uh, it kind of it sets these really contrived things for you to rap two and then yeah it's basically a rap battle between you and the other contestants and kind of in that quiplash fashion the ones who aren't playing get to say who the winner of the battle is and yeah it's it's pretty good fun yeah no it's um 
yeah, I played a couple of games from uh, the Jackbox Party Pack 7. I think 7's the latest, right? Yeah. The other day, yeah. And I think it's probably one of the stronger packs that I've played. Like, I think with most Jackbox game, uh, bundles, like, you're pretty good if, you know, half the games sort of hold their own. And, yeah, everyone of this one that I've played so far, I've had a really good time with everyone. Yeah, cool. We should definitely hook up a session there um, and... and- check out a few more of those because uh, yeah even jackbox six got another go around with uh you don't know jack there and that's always a bit of fun yeah no it's um like the the quiz games are interesting because they're obviously very sort of u.s centric um so whenever i play with friends either from the uk or australia um there's always a few rounds where people are inevitably disappointed by it um but yeah i don't know what you can really do about that other than not play it yeah absolutely i think the other ones that kind of made a bit of an impression was uh fallout guys uh played a bit of that uh vermintide i played a bit of and just a whole host of other ps4 games as i didn't have a playstation 4 before this year um i've kind of been mostly a pc and nintendo guy but i really got into the ps4 this year and um, if you haven't yeah, and there's so many great titles on that console that that ended up taking quite a bit of time, and the uh, multiplayer features on it were quite good too. But even though all of those considerations are there, for me, No Man's Sky multiplayer was the best isolation social game. All right, well, my best under-isolation conditions social game was Among Us, which I think a lot of people are going to agree with me on that one. Yeah. It's... um. Solves a problem that I've been thinking about for a really long time, and it's about how to sort of bridge the gap between what it's like playing a board game and what it's play- like playing a video game. And I think, again, if it wasn't for, you know, the lockdown and um, people trying to find ways to play these games that have an element of social deduction to them, um, it wouldn't have turned into the phenomenon that it is. Oh, yeah, it shot right up. Yeah, and, you know, like, I think that's just people desperate to hang out with other people but at the same time it's such a rich pretty much untapped vein of gameplay in the space of video games because you know you you read stories about like eve online where you know there's all this like court intrigue and you know that the game is how you interact with other people in you know social situations um but yeah it's that's not sort of codified in the rules of the game um Whereas, yeah, with Among Us, it's, I think it's a step closer to, um, uh, you know, almost a new genre of these types of games. And I hope we see more of them. Absolutely. And I think it's inevitable that we will after the, um, surprise success there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a, it's a money printing machine at the moment. So, um, there's always a, uh, wave of, uh, pretenders that follow those. And, you know, hopefully. There's some clever designers out there that'll be able to do something new with it. But we have to decide out of uh, No Man's Sky and Among Us, which is uh, actually going to win the best isolation game. Um, well, I mean, you know, Among Us was my pick. And um, I, I think it, I think it, I don't know how to finish that sentence. Um, Look, I think you just convinced me entirely there. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let <laughs> Among Us have that one. Yeah. Uh, that was no, I, very convincing I, and impassioned argument from you. Yeah. No, it's, it's, screw you. No, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> what, what my brain was trying to come up with was I think Among Us has brought something new to gaming. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like a new way to interact with other people um, in a video game. Um, it's like it's not a new way of 
playing a game, but I think it's new for video games, and I think that's worthy of one of our very prestigious awards. Yeah, fair enough. I I reckon I'll let that fly. No Man's Sky, um, you know, I I found it personally pretty good for um, the social aspects, which were, you know, probably PlayStations more than No Man's Skies. So, and Among Us has definitely captured more public attention and, um, yeah, it's more innovative. So it gets the best under isolation conditions. Hey, well, congratulations. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I guess that brings us to the next award, which is the Russell Brand Award for the most addicting mechanic. This is the game with the stickiest mechanic or the one we couldn't stop interacting with or playing. And uh, for me... The uh, candidates are For the King, which is a roguelike board game, um, which kind of brings that uh, sort of role-playing game, tabletop game thing to the console experience. And then there is, again, No Man's Sky with its planet-hopping mechanics. Um, I find myself just diving into ships and going from planet to planet very quickly there. Um, Again, we've got Quiplash 3 with the uh, phone quips um, because, yeah, just one more round of Quiplash 3 is always there. Um... Interestingly, Hold Down, uh, which is a mobile game, um, that that actually ended up taking a fair bit of replay. I've not heard of Hold Down. Uh, what is it? Okay, so Hold Down is a game in which you kind of it's like an inverted block breaker. You kind of throw a ball from the top, and you got to try to break the bricks, and you got to find interesting projectiles for the uh, ball to take. And as you go, it kind of unlocks. Uh, it's got a really big sort of skill tree unlock as it goes. So you start getting like the ability to have like more and more balls. That's pretty much the main thing, but also go deeper. If you've ever played Ridiculous Fishing for mobile, yeah. uh, which is a Vlambeer game, it's got that kind of meta mechanic to it where you just keep going back to the shop and spending your, uh, you know, in-game money on getting more and more powerful tools, which allow you to um, dig deeper and deeper holes into the planet. It's kind of framed in this way where you're mining into a planet, but it's, uh, you know, it's very kind of abstract, bold art. And, yeah, that's quite fun. I ended up playing all the way to the end of that and enjoying the hell out of it. Yeah, like, 2020 was such a weird year for um, mobile gaming for me because, like, I don't have a commute anymore. Um, I'm working from home yeah. since we've been uh, under lock, and that used to be my my mobile gaming time. Like you know, I've I've still got the toilet, or when I've got a um, particularly long uh, build running. But yes, it's um, <laughs> it's like that's ah, a nice bit of code time to reward myself. Um, yeah, no, like I think Clash Royale sort of the only mobile game that I played a lot of this year. Yeah, that was the same for me. Build 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 pipeline time yeah yeah it's like all right <laughs> Bitbucket pipelines is busy so hold down get to go yep <laughs> um and uh spelunky 2 that uh is a gorgeous sequel to an already gorgeous game with its roguelike platforming and for me spelunky 2 was the most addicting game it's the one that i went back to the most uh just one more round and yeah absolutely love it uh it's very similar to spelunky 1 and that's my yeah winner. All right. Well, my winner for most addicting mechanic was Animal Crossing. And um, I don't know if this is like an effect of the lockdown again, because I remember when um, New Leaf came out and I sort of had the same sort of addiction to it. So I, I guess I can't lay it all at COVID's feet. But um, yeah, there's just something about the way that it works its way into your daily schedule. 
Like you, mm. you wake up, so you know you've got you know your um, fossils to dig up, and you know your sort of daily tasks that you need to achieve. Um, so it's it's a lot like a free to play game in um, that sense, where it's you know it becomes part of your real life. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. I did get to see quite a lot of that because um, my wife Melly's been playing it very heavily, and yeah. She's always talking about like getting her island up to scratch and and getting visitors through and all that sort of thing, and it looks absolutely awesome. Yeah, well, it's crazy. Like my my wife bought a Nintendo Switch so she could play it. Like that's what. Yeah. And you know, like she's been playing a Switch ever since. But that's sort of what it took to get her into you know gaming, pretty much. Because I, I don't think, think she was doing any of it before that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's true for a lot of people because the Nintendo Switch did outstanding numbers and that game just did so much better than any other game this year. And even for Nintendo, which is saying a lot, like it, I think it did in the tens of millions uh, of units, which is just insane. Yeah. And I like, I mean, that has to be because of COVID, right? Because, you know, when it came out, like just everyone in my office bought it and you know would go visit to each other's islands because everyone was just desperate for human contact um yeah but yeah no it, it sort of created a gateway for a lot of people and you know like my wife's been playing all the big switch titles since then like she did mario odyssey and she's doing breath of the wild at the moment so it's um i'm very grateful for uh animal crossing for bringing her into the fold we now have to decide between Animal Crossing and Spelunky 2, which gets the Russell Brand Award for Most Addicting Mechanic. Alright, so I'm going to make my arguments for Spelunky 2. Okay, Spelunky 2 is good, and that's why it deserves to win. Well, I think that's a very solid argument, and I'm not sure if the addicting parts of Animal Crossing are actually good. Like, it's... You know, the fact that it weasels its way into your routine like a free-to-play mobile game, that's, uh, it's not necessarily good gameplay. It's, uh, more an insidious, um, you know, brainwashing technique. Um, I, I think you just I, made the argument for it. It's the most addicting mechanic. <laughs> yeah. So the most, ad- uh, the Russell Brand Award for most addicting mechanic goes to Animal Crossing. Hey, well, well done, Nintendo. Well done, Nintendo. It's uh, it's the first win for Nintendo yeah. in the uh, Hindsight Awards, so uh, they should be absolutely wrapped. I will tell you how I broke my addiction to Animal Crossing, though. Um, yeah. My goal with my island was to just turn it into one giant graveyard. So I got, <laughs> I got the blueprint for how to make graves, and then I started digging up stone, and then I started trading with other people online for their stone. Um <laughs> And I got to the point where my island was so dense with graves that there was nothing left for me to do. And that's when I stopped playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> I, I was wondering, because you can dig up ocean in that, can't you? Yeah, yeah. It's um, You've got a bunch of terraforming tools. So are you able to dig away the entire island? I'm not sure how small you can actually get it. Oh, yeah, actually, I'm not sure if you can dig away the island. I think the, the beaches might be fixed in place, but there's there's been a lot of updates to the game since I last played it. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, moving on to the next award category, we have the Spore Space Stage. We have the Spore Space Stage Award for Boldest Attempt. 
This award goes to the biggest idea, regardless of its effectivity. So we're looking for the moonshot, the the swing and a miss, or maybe the swing and a hit, uh, knocking it out of the park. I don't know. I, what are other sport idioms we can use for this? Um, touching down. Um, yeah. Hit, k- kicking it for a wicket. Um, it's the biggest hole in 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 many. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, I've got uh, some of the nominees uh, Ring Fit for its run and gun sizing, which is what I call exercising in a run and gun framework. Uh, we then have Lair of the Clockwork God, which is a Ben and Dan adventure from uh, Dan Marshall and Ben Ward. Uh, absolutely fun adventure platforming game that kind of tries to cross over between the two quite successfully i might add um we then have the fighting mechanic from paper mario origami kingdom and the reason why i had that in as boldest attempt is because uh man they they nailed the fighting system in their old games so to try to reinvent it is a very bold attempt indeed and uh even though i haven't played this one i have seen a lot of footage of it and that's uh watchdogs legion for its play as anybody at all mechanic yeah that sounds pretty cool um i've never actually played a watchdogs game which i feel very sad about because i i enjoy those open world city you know gta inspired games yeah Um, i know they've sort of like taken a a dip in popularity in recent years, except GTA five, which I saw was like one of the best selling games in 2020 still. <laughs> well, it's just about to release for the PS five. Hey, yep. Oh, it's just the game that keeps on giving. Well, I, I hear in watchdogs, Legion, uh, watchdogs Legion, you can play as absolutely anyone in London. So I played as you. Oh, um, I'm flattered. Yeah, no, it was good. Uh, you took down the government buildings and then you walked away from the government buildings uh maybe i shouldn't be making that joke right now (laughs) well i I played as prince harry and i walked right off the the corners of the map and vanished (laughs) (laughs) all right cool but i'm giving mine to uh spelunky 2 for its wait no that's the previous category (laughs) i'm giving mine to ring fit adventure for its run and gunner sizing as uh yeah I feel as though if you were to explain to somebody that jogging on the spot were a way to move and that, you know, squeezing a ring at your enemies would be the way to attack uh, before having seen that, I would have just said, well, that is an insane idea. Uh, But yeah, that that was a very bold attempt and I thought it was fairly successful too. Well, I have to play it in squatting mode because we've got downstairs neighbours. All right. Yeah. Um, in in squatting mode? Yeah, so instead of jogging, you basically squat up and down. (laughs) It sucks. It hurts so much. (laughs) Wait, don't they have one where you can kind of do that sort of tiptoe on the spot thing instead of running? I don't know. I, I think there were only two modes last time I played it but yeah maybe there's been an update <laughs> when i set up the initial settings for it that was like yeah, another, that is a poor trade yeah that's like another weird lockdown game because like i had to wait months for it to become available because a lot of people that clearly had a lot more foresight than me clearly snatched up every copy in the country as soon as um it started becoming apparent that we weren't allowed outside anymore 
Yeah, right. Yeah, that that yeah, that I think that is true for me to an extent as well. Like I I really picked up uh, a lot of rigging fit when it kind of became a bit harder to jog. I mean, we had it a lot easier here because we haven't been in lockdown as much um or very little at all actually in comparison so um it kind of fell off again when i was able to go outside and exercise uh i guess but yeah and also the switch just doesn't seem to fly off the shelves in australia at the moment yeah no it's like it's interesting what you know covid's done to video games as an economy um but anyway going back to the awards uh <laughs> my my nominee for boldest attempt is the indie game the Longing, which is a point-and-click adventure game that takes 400 real-time days to complete. And 400 that- real-time days to complete? Yep. Yep. So Do as you far have as- to play the whole time? Well, what, maybe if that's Animal Crossing as well. Um, I'm not actually sure if it uh, plays when you're not playing. Um, oh. So it, it could be that nobody's actually finished this game yet. Uh, but yeah, like in terms of uh, boldness, like- it's that's a very bold mechanic um (laughs) did that one come out in 2020 yeah well then nobody's finished it yet yeah not as they're playing properly ah right so you reckon you can fiddle with the date yeah like i i don't know if that's the point um sort of like you know undertale was all about fiddling with the game data and you know breaking outside the game um whereas yeah the the longing i think you're supposed to play the 400 days um, and you know, like it's very much a, it's an art game. Um, and right. you know, it's, you know, about sort of reflecting on the nature of longing and patience and all those things. But at the end of the day, that's, well, at the end of the 400 days, um, it is a, yeah, that's a, a silly <laughs> expectation of, uh, players. And yeah, you know, I'm glad somebody <laughs> made that game. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's the, the, uh, your arguments for the winner being the longing. Um, that's a very bold game mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. So I've got uh, my arguments for Ring Fit. Um, I think uh, you know uh, Ring Fit is you know it's it's a very out there idea, and uh, my second point about it would be uh, you won the last two, so it's my turn. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to concede. All right, so the winner of the Spore Space Stage Award for Boldest Attempt is Ring Fit Adventure. Yay! This is Nintendo's second win for the Hindsight 2020 Hack 02, whatever we call it, awards. Game Design Hack Awards. Ah, oh, they're, they're running away with it this year. Oh, they really are. If I reckon this Nintendo company has a future. Yeah, no, it's um, in, invest in stocks while you can. <laughs> All right, so uh, do you want to announce the next category? Yes, the next category is the Winona Ryder Award for Best Appropriated Mechanic. Uh, so it's a game that has stolen something from somewhere else and has done a fine job at it. Um, <laughs> hey, you know, that's not to a... Uh, besmirch stealing like you know that's that's what design is it's stealing ideas from other people and doing it better than they did oh yeah yeah definitely yeah what was what was your first uh, nominee uh my first nominee is among us um which uh took uh, a lot of ideas from 
werewolves, which I have noted here as dancers with wolves slash avatar. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just a lot of that stuff about you having a imposter among you or a werewolf among you and then finding interesting ways to put that into a video game format and to get that debate going in the same fashion um that's really cool and the other i had was for the king which takes tabletop rpgs and tabletop sort of board game play and kind of distills it into a roguelike video game um and i think uh for me the stronger of the two uh, or the one that left the most lasting impression was For the King. Yeah, I still really need to play For the King. Um, my my nominee was also Among Us. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, based on Werewolf. But I also think it solves one of the biggest problems that Werewolf has. Oh, yeah. Where it gives people something to do once they've been eliminated. Yeah. Because, you know, like, everyone loves a game of Werewolf, especially at a party or um something like that but it's it's the same problem that monopoly has where if you're the first one to get eliminated then you're sort of twiddling your thumbs watching other people play a game until the game's finished getting drunk and ruining it for everybody else yeah um whereas you know among us like it's probably not the most interesting um way to involve eliminated players where you know you can keep contributing to the mission goals but you can't sort of interact with the, you know, social deduction part um, anymore. And, like, there's a couple of games, like, oh, tabletop games, like The Resistance or Secret Hitler, which sort of managed to make the the intrigue last until the very end of the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there'll probably be a Among Us-style game to come out in the next few years that probably borrows a few things from those other tabletop games, but... It's um it's certainly more fun than I think Werewolf is um, if you're knocked down the first game. I've also played games of Among Us with people where, you know, they're sort of grateful to be the ghost because they're just yeah. sort of like running around the ship doing things, but they don't like the pressure of, you know, being murdered at any moment or you know, having <laughs> accusations thrown at them. Yeah. Yeah, it can get pretty thick. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess because it's on both of our lists, um, it's disqualified and For the King should probably win. Yep, well well done For the King. For the King. Yeah. Best appropriate mechanic. It's all right, Among Us already has an award. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was thinking. No one goes home empty-handed from the, the 2020 Hindsight Awards. <laughs> We keep we keep calling it by the document name instead of the actual award name. Yeah, I mean, this is totally unscripted. What are you talking about? Um, one thing that for me was interesting but definitely didn't make this uh, category uh, was uh, Binding of Isaac, which actually went the other way because most of these are adaptions from, uh, you know, role-playing games or tabletop or that sort of thing, like real-world games to uh, video games and... You know, that was obviously a thing that was going to happen this year. But vice versa was Binding of Isaac, um, the card game, which I played a bit this year uh, with Millie. Uh, You can play it with two to four people. Um, And it's not a bad adaption, but it doesn't really take any of the spirit of Binding of Isaac. It mostly just takes the item names and character names and, uh, and just puts them into a fairly generic card game which is kind of fun but 
doesn't really bring anything new to the table and doesn't really bring much of Binding of Isaac to it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of board games that have survived the transition from video game to board game. Um, I think the XCOM board game is supposed to be pretty interesting and fun. Um, yeah. That's all, all sort of driven by a mobile app, so even they couldn't completely detach themselves from the digital realm. Right, um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm interested to play the Binding of Isaac card game, but again, because I haven't been able to see anyone for a year, it's, uh, it's made my tabletop gaming uh, a bit difficult. Yeah, well, I mean, um, yeah, the, uh, that and Boss Monster are pretty good for two people, I've found. Um, yeah, it's, oh. it's so tough finding good board games for two people. Like, that's a problem I've been struggling with for years. Um, mm. Back in Australia, I had a pretty massive board game collection, but I couldn't find anything that I could really just play with me and the missus. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. All right, so I guess we're up to the next award, which is the Heptapod and Amy Adams Award for Most Difficult to Learn. This is the game that, uh, you know, just took the longest to pick up, had the most convoluted rule set, or the longest onboarding ramp. And for me, it's only one thing in this category. It's Twilight Imperium, the military game which takes at least 10 hours to play. And for me, uh, it took 11 and a half hours. And, oh man, I feel like the first six of those hours were all on trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's an intimidating box to begin with. Like, it's <laughs> basically like a luggage-sized suitcase of game components. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so... Uh, we filled up the biggest table that anyone in our six-person group had with... We couldn't fit all six of us on this damn table with the amount of cards and pieces and everything else. And then I think the game has nine or maybe it was 10 phases per player per turn, which means there's 60 bloody things to do and deliberate over and debate just for one turn. And every turn takes like an hour. Well, I've never actually been able to play Twilight Imperium. Like I had the box back home, but again, I could never find, you know, a day where I could um, coax people into, you know, giving up their weekend to play it with me. Um, yeah. On a, on a turn, like, how sort of insular is it? Like, is everyone sitting around the table waiting for you to make all your moves? Or are you sort of talking to other people about what you're going to do next? Is it, um, you know, does it feel yeah. like the, the council from Star Wars where you're, <laughs> you know, flying around on your hover podium? It definitely, um, towards the end of the game, you're definitely trying to barter a bit. Uh, like there is, well, I had the somewhat both enviable and unenviable position of being in the lead quite early and I ended up winning the game. So everybody was out to get me and, uh, I, I was mostly winning through, uh, some of the secret objectives, which I just kept stacking up and, uh, I made a terrible mistake while I was playing that. Um, I was reading the craft in the game, and uh, it was like, here are all your units, and this is what their combat is. You know, you've got this, this like, fighter unit. Oh, yeah, it's, like, got a combat of four, whatever. And this carrier with combat of nine. I'm like, nine? That is awesome. Nine is a great number for combat. So I started building all of these carriers, right? And I started brushing the center with these carriers. <laughs> 
And uh, it turns out that uh, that low numbers are good for combat in that game. And so I'd built a ton of the most useless unit in the game. Uh, so it's uh, the golf-based approach to combat. You want to get uh, low yeah, numbers. That's, that's the only mechanic. Yeah, because it turns out that, uh, yeah, it's it's um, the lower the number, the uh, the more resistant to die it is. Because you go, all right, cool, you roll the die. And if, it's, if you've got a combat of two, then three or more losers. Which, it just seems arbitrary to me, but, yeah. Well, it clearly it, it, worked it did, for you if you won, right? Well, actually, that's funny, because my the tactic that ended up working is I built the cheapest unit as much as possible and just filled up <laughs> all my carriers and just sent them into the middle. And then nobody could get me out of the middle because I just had it defended with so many units that were all fodder, and I could just send tens of them out. I was zerging the game, essentially. Well, it sounds like a bloody good time, if you ask me. It was uh, a great time. I just kind of wish it wasn't 11 and a half hours. <laughs> I'll, I'll, so- play it. I'll play it one day. <laughs> Not with me, you won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What did you have? Well, my award goes to Crusader Kings 3, which is slightly less um, dense and... Uh, impenetrable than crusader kings 2 is but it is um still a a lot of menus and screens and systems to get through and that doesn't count against the game um because the the promise of the game which is you know court intrigue on a grand strategy scale and emergent stories um that's not a simple thing to reproduce, and I think you sort of need that level of complexity to tell the stories that that game does. But as somebody that, you know, doesn't play those games regularly, um, it's it's a hell of a learning curve. Right. Yeah, so what what is... I, I don't really know Crusader Kings. What's the feel of it? Well, it's a paradox grand strategy game, so if you've mm-hmm. played any Europa game or um, Stellaris or any of those sorts of things. Um, Or, you know, if you haven't played those sorts of games, I guess the closest simulacrum is the Civilization games. But on top of that sort of map-based strategy, you've got this sort of dense system for lineages and relationships and diplomacy, pretty much. So um, you've, you've got a royal family that you're playing as and they've all got needs and wants and perversions um and you know every other nation in the world also has these um you know monarchs and the basically the relationships between those drive the you know conflict that happens on the map and the um you know capturing of territories and all that good stuff um but the the reason people like playing these games is because of the stories that emerge from it where you know Mm. your prince um accidentally gets drunk and punches out a priest which causes a um feud with the pope who starts you know sending or directing other nations to attack you and you know all this wild stuff like you know characters turning into cannibals or having you know secret fetishes and sort of the geopolitical ramifications of, you know, these characters has on the world. Um, that's, that's what makes it such a popular series. And 
I I didn't play enough of it to sort of um, fulfill that promise of the game, but it's something I'll definitely come back to because I I want those stories. Right. So how are we going to decide this one? Um. Well, I think I think I'd vote for Twilight Imperium because I'm sure there's um you know hardcore Crusader Kings three fans out there that's like, uh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. It's all it all makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, whereas I don't think there's anyone that's played Twilight Imperium that hasn't gone, fuck me, that was that was a bit much. <laughs> uh, well, a lot of the guys I played with are, are teeing up another session, but I am not quite as convinced that I'm in for round two. Uh, so the Heptapod and Amy Adams Arrival Award for Most Difficult to Learn goes to Twilight Imperium. Yay! This is the first win for Twilight Imperium in the game design hack. Game design. I should stop saying that every time. Actually, I think that's our our first tabletop game, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's our first tabletop game. So cool. All right. I guess that brings us to the next award category, which is the Frank Ocean Award for Most Stuff Stolen. This goes to the game that stole the most ideas and succeeded. And for me, it's only... Oh. Oh, right. What have you done? Oh, uh, no, I've, I've, I've gotten completely confused by this category. Uh, <laughs> my, my nominee was for The Sinking City, which is uh, currently in battled in a, a legal battle um, <laughs> over royalties between the uh, developer and the publisher. <laughs> right, so you took the stolen, stealing stuff thing rather literally then yeah yeah no it's, it's my my bad all right so by default it goes to the only <laughs> nominee in mine which is immortals phoenix rising for stealing from breath of the wild hey so if you haven't played immortals phoenix rising it is breath of the wild but ubisoft and a little bit faster and i highly recommend it if breath of the wild was your thing but you want something to play again that's not quite as long-winded even though the long-windedness is a good thing i just wish there were more hours in the day there's so many games i want to play (laughs) all right cool um next category the enzo ferrari award for most mechanics the most mechanics (laughs) uh what do you have dale i have uh well what the golf uh which i played which has a seemingly infinite number of ideas in it um some really good ideas some really bad ones uh if you've never heard of what the golf i recommend checking out the trailer it's one of the funniest trailers that i've seen and it's got uh so many of the mechanics in there part of the game's charm is that it comes up with a ton of fresh ideas and then i also had um ring fit uh because of the uh exercise on rails stuff um I think this one was originally meant to be most new mechanics, um, and then we butchered the award title in order to put a celebrity in it. Yeah, well, you know, we've always uh, prioritised comedy over any sort of actual content or education, so... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I I picked Rig Fit as well. Uh, What's Enzo Ferrari's son's name? We'll say it's Ben. Benzo. Benzo! (laughs) (laughs) Benzo Ferrari. So this is now the Benzo <laughs> Ferrari award for most new mechanics. Because Benzo Ferrari, being the son, is much younger than Enzo was. So new mechanic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and no, I basically treated every different exercise in um, Ring Fit as a separate mechanic. 
Uh, yes. So you add all those up, then that's the most mechanics. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, so the winner, I think, because it's in both our categories, is Ring Fit. Oh, Ring Fit again. The Benzo Ferrari Award for most new mechanics goes to Ring Fit Adventure. This is Ring Fit Adventure's second win for the Game Design Hack 2020 Awards. Benzo's coming up to present the award himself. Hey, <laughs> it's a me, it's a Benzo. It's <laughs> <laughs> a award. <laughs> You guys want to join on my team? I have so many new mechanics. Oh, thank you, Benzo. We're um, we're honoured that you you took the time to come to our, our little award ceremony. Ah, speaking of honour, the next award is the Queen Elizabeth II Award for the game that consumed the most time. This goes to the game that got the most attention, regardless of merit. And I think I've said mine a bunch of times before, but it's No Man's Sky which managed to take probably another 25 hours, even though I'd put 70 in before the update this year. Yeah, No Man's Sky is such a redemption story. Um, I'm, is I'm it? S- <laughs> <laughs> well, it was um, the game that promised the world, uh, didn't quite deliver it, but has been trying its heart out um, over the last few years to try and, you know, appease uh the the people that were hurt by it yeah i find myself so i don't know i find myself to have quite a different experience than the general narrative because everyone kind of agrees that it didn't have enough when it came out and now it's gotten much better and it has a lot of stuff and admittedly multiplayer is the thing that uh i've been doing with it most recently but i was perfectly happy to put you know, 60 or so hours out in the uh, initial phase. Like, I thought it was fine if you just want space exploration. And I still find that that uh, thing that was initially there, even though it's improved somewhat, is the thing that I interact with the most. So for me, it's like, yeah, it's improved, but it's not a radical change. Yeah, I think there's like a gap between what, you know, your average gamer was expecting from it and what, you know, somebody that's you know, sort of a developer like we are that sort of Mm. has a knowledge of, you know, procedural generation and, like, I mean, what they released was an ambitious and impressive feat. Um, It wasn't necessarily a game, but, you know, from a technological standpoint, it was, you know, fascinating. Um, Yeah. Um, And it was fine to check out. Like, it was was genuinely good fun for maybe 20 of those six hours to check out Random Planets. Yeah. Uh, 20 of those 60 hours, I should say, yeah. But, um, and what did you have in the Queen Elizabeth II category? I had Animal Crossing, um, again, because I think that's probably the game I spent the most time, um, playing this year. Like, it takes a lot of stone to make those, uh, gravestones, um, and yeah, like, it's, it's a game that you end up playing a lot because it works its way into your daily schedule. Plus, you've sort of got the social pressure of, you know, people you know coming on and going, hey, come to my island. Hey, come see what I've done. And you go to their island. It's like, oh, that's a pretty good island. Well, now I need to make something to impress. It's like keeping up with Jones's, the Jones's, the game. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, how many hours do you think you put into Animal Crossing? I wish I had my switch on me so I could, like, tell you exactly how much. But I think it probably would have been about... 65, 70. 
So the Game Design Award, the Queen Elizabeth II Award for the game that consumed the most time goes to Animal Crossing. Etc. I'm gonna put music under what we sang. Such high production values. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Depends how much gin I have left. <laughs> I, I had, I had all the gin. But yeah, that, that's, uh, yeah, Animal Crossing is, I mean, Nintendo's just cleaning up at this awards, aren't they? They'll be very happy. They'll be very happy to have, have gotten such a prestigious collection at this year's awards. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not entirely fair because I think I play my Switch more than any other device, so. I'm sure there's plenty of other games out there which are um, very impressive, but, you know, N- Nintendo's got an unfair advantage. Yeah, I've been finding that quite a bit myself as well. Um, all right, I suppose the next one would be the Robert De Niro Award for unsurprising but dependable for uh, performance. So the Robert De Niro Award for unsurprising but dependable performance goes to the game that was good despite the lack of innovation. Um, so for me, I had um, Immortals Phoenix Rising, which, again, just stole so many ideas from Breath of the Wild. And I also had Paper Mario Origami Kingdom, which did nothing particularly new, but was um, you know enjoyable nonetheless. And uh, out of those two, I'm probably going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with Paper Mario only because Immortals is still going. And also, for a Ubisoft game, it's got quite a lot of innovation, which I'd like to encourage. Yeah. Well, my award goes to Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Uh, I used to be big into the Dynasty Warriors games uh, probably about 15 years ago. as Dynasty Warriors 3 or 4 that I used to play on the Xbox and, like, those games are basically, like, popping bubble wrap. You, you sit down... There's all these huge armies, you tap the same button over and over again, and then all the armies are gone, and you go, ah, that was satisfying. And then 15 years passed, and it another one came out with a Zelda wrapping on it, and it is the exact same feeling. You, it does what it says on the box. It is it's like a warm, a warm <laughs> yeah. blanket. This is the second one with Zelda branding on it as well, so it's not yep. even new yep. for itself. Yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've only played the demo for this one. Um, I thought I haven't even played to the end of the demo, but I kind of enjoyed it, and I, I've got the one before it, and I kind of enjoyed that too. I keep meaning to go back to Age of Calamity and actually pick it up because I absolutely love that world and any really. Anything that kind of lets me live in that a little bit more is still worth picking up, I believe. Yeah, I think the appeal for me is the same appeal I get from Stardew Valley, where it's like the compelling thing is cleaning up a space. So like Stardew Valley, you're given this farm, it's covered in crap, and you're put in it, and you sort of bring order to the chaos. And Dynasty Warriors are the same thing, you're put on a map, um, it happens over a very different time span, but, you know, 
there's fights going on everywhere. You see all these blotches of enemy dots all over the map, and it's your job to go to work and, you know, bring order to the chaos. Right, yeah. Did you get a chance at all to play Paper Mario Origami Kingdom? No, I haven't. Okay. This is going to be a difficult one to choose because you've clearly got more experience with one and I've clearly got more experience with the other. Um, So do you have any ideas about how we're going to solve this? Flip a coin? We can flip a coin. I don't have any coins, though. Uh, It's a cashless economy. Well, if we shuffle both games into a um, clumsy portmanteau. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, Yeah. Do you want to flip or do you want me to? Paper Warriors... Age of Kingdom. Okay, so the winner is Paper Warriors Age of Kingdom. Paper Warrior oh. Ages of Kingdom takes away the Robert De Niro Award for unsurprising but dependable performance. Well done. Well done. And again, that's another Nintendo Award um, to uh, two new games, or one new game made from two games. I wonder whether or not that would... Yeah, actually, you know what? Paper Mario had bad combat and Hyrule Warriors or Dynasty Warriors could probably fix that. (laughs) (laughs) And Hyrule Warriors is also... Actually, no, I haven't played it long enough to call it shallow. The the Dynasty Warriors were definitely shallow, but um, no, I I think it's... They've definitely uh, brought their A-game for Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Anyway, moving on to the next award, we've got the Stephen Bradbury Award for Most Surprising Win. Uh, so this is a game that was good despite the lack of innovation, which um, doesn't really describe the game that I, <laughs> I picked. <laughs> My game was all innovation. No, no, I, I think that's just a, a mistake in the document. This most surprising win goes to the game that had the most surprising new mechanic. I think yeah. I've just written the... Uh, <laughs> I've accidentally written the same subtitle twice. Oh, no. uh, the game with the... Most surprisingly good mechanic. Uh, there we go. Does that change your answer much? or No, that fixes my answer. Okay, cool. Uh, so the Stephen Bradbury Award for the most surprising uh, win goes to the game with the most surprising good mechanic. So you didn't necessarily expect it to be good, but it was good. And for me, that goes to the secret objectives in Twilight Imperium. Uh, which is actually how I ended up winning our 11 and a half hour game. Uh, although it's not just the fact that I used them for success that made them a fun thing to do. It was a really fun way to play, uh, to kind of keep these underhanded things, which were mostly complete and then chain together, uh, you know, secret objective accomplishments in order to boost yourself. Yeah. Um, because when I won that game, I was being inundated from every other player because I was already a bit in front from having done a couple of really early plays, which were a bit strong. Uh, but the other thing I had going on was a couple of secret objectives. So, uh, I ended up absolutely robbing everyone. Perhaps this is actually a surprisingly bad mechanic and I just used it to my advantage and liked it. Well, the um, the game that leaps out for using secret objectives really well um, to me is a board game called Dead of Winter. Um, did I ever play that one with you? I don't think so. Yeah, well, it's a um, game where everyone's playing survivors in a zombie apocalypse. Um, but it's one of those games where there's the possibility that somebody might be working against the rest of the group, but it's not necessarily a certainty. And everyone has secret objectives that they need to complete to win the game. Um, But what makes it work really well is that 
gives everyone a reason to look suspicious. So, right, because you you have to do something that no one else knows about. It means that at some point in the game, you're going to do something which isn't for the benefit of the greater group, and that creates a a rich vein of um, accusations and um, suspicion, which Ooh. you know the best zombie movies are about you know groups of people turning on each other in stressful situations so the best game adaptations of that you know manage to recreate that feeling and um yeah um i hope i see more secret objectives um used to you know further the vision of the game um in games in the future oh yeah yeah, no, that sounds cool. I actually thought of a late entry for this. I was thinking maybe uh, Sakuna of Rice and Rain, which is kind of rice farming. It's kind of like where you control the goddess Sakuna, who's tasked with exploring and clearing the Isle of Demons and Monsters while also looking for a small group of human characters. The game's kind of split up between two characters, separate gameplay styles. There's like side-scroll hack and slash, and there's kind of platforming levels. And it's kind of gradually revealed... Uh, um, the map of the island as the players complete objectives in a farming simulator where the player must grow rice in a small paddy in the hamlet of where Sakuna and the humans live. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's a really good game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's funny because that's what I'd, I'd picked for uh, <laughs> my surprising win. What? Um, oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, that's odd. <laughs> that's really odd. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I could have given such a thorough description of it either oh look as far as i'm concerned you know sakuna of rice and rain received generally favorable reviews according to the review aggregator metacritic yeah well it's funny that you you know that off the top of your head yeah Um, it's a commercial success yeah half a million copies (laughs) yeah no like the the surprisingly good mechanic from that is the rice farming so um Hmm. you know well I've, i've got a soft spot for farming games in general um i didn't think a game where you farm one thing um would you know be able to maintain itself over the course of an entire game um but yeah they they nailed it and it's like rather than just being like a side thing you do in between you know side scrolling fighting that it kind of is the game and um it's it's incredibly satisfying um and i think you know a lot of dedicated farming games are probably going to be swiping stuff from it for for years to come it's sort of like when stardew valley came out and you know that sort of influenced um a whole flock of farming games i think this has sort of moved the genre forward again all right cool so i guess the stephen bradbury award for most surprising win goes to sakuna of rice and rain yay Sakuna of Rice and Rain was developed by Edelweiss, a two-man team previously developed the 2014 shoot-em-up game Astrobreed. Astrobreed. Here comes Stephen Bradbury coming up to present the award. Oh, no, he's fallen over. (laughs) Oh, no. It was bound Uh, to happen eventually. That's a shame. He must have saved it up for this, and good on him. Funny how things catch up with you. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Uh, Next, we have the Mario Galaxy Runner-Up Award for Best Game. So the best game is Mario Galaxy, but this category is about the best game this year. And the runner-up is also Mario Galaxy, as it was released as part of the Super Nintendo Mario 35 anniversary Mario 3D All-Stars. I'm definitely not cooking the title of this game. It's That's all part of the title still, end quote, by Nintendo. 
so this game is the third place behind the original Mario Galaxy and the HD re-release. Yeah, we're, we're going to need a bigger podium for all these Mario Galaxies. <laughs> it's Mario Galaxies all the way down. Yeah. Imagine a big pyramid with Mario Galaxy on top, and the next two down, you've got another Mario Galaxy. And below that, there's another Mario Galaxy. Below that, it's just... Sand. At the bottom of the pyramid is sand that you can sink into. Yeah. But what's sunken in that sand? <laughs> it's Mario Galaxy. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so you want to take us through yours first, Tom? Yeah, well, I guess, no surprise, um, Hades is the just best game I played this year. Um, it It feels like the most refined game in a genre that you know, a whole bunch of different indie companies have been working towards for, you know, basically 10 years now. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, it's, you know, Transistor was a um, iteration on Bastion and this feels like, you know, the final form and, you know, it, it takes stuff from Binding of Isaac and Hyperlight Drifter and, you know, all these games that have been... Like, it doesn't quite um, take Binding of Isaac's swagger because it feels like a much more okay. cohesive whole than Binding of Isaac is. Like, Binding of Isaac right. seems to be a game about, like, each run, you're just trying to see, like, what's the, the craziest end point you get to and sort of, yeah. like, how all these different systems synergize with each other, which, you know, Hades is about as well, but it Hades feels much more like you're playing through a cohesive experience as opposed to, you know, basically different simulations. Yeah, yeah, I've been meaning to play Hades. Um, I keep hearing good things, and yeah, uh, I I haven't really played much of Supergiant's stuff, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and my um my other nominee is the art punk role playing game Morkborg, which came out this year, um, which right. just has the coolest um packaging I've ever seen in a um role playing <laughs> game before. Uh, just every page is a completely different design style, sort of in the same vein as a, you know, metal zine. Um, oh, right. Yeah, it's got a whole bunch of really cool ideas in it. Like, there's sort of been a trend in um, indie role-playing games over the recent years where basically they've been trying to get rules as light as possible. And um, while this isn't the lightest set of rules out there, it's... um. It's a game you could certainly play at the pub if you wanted to. Um, so yeah, it's a, uh, and it's also got a really great community around it as well. Um, where the, the publishers let people submit, you know, monsters and dungeons and ideas and they'll like help you create art for it and publish it on their, their website as well. So it's, um, it's at the OSR community on fire. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That sounds excellent. I'd l- I'd love to give that a go. Um, well, we'll definitely have a game. Oh yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Let's pencil that in right now on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go through a couple of uh, games that are definitely not from this year, but I only got around to this year, including Boss Monster, the uh, card game. I had a great time playing that. Uh, I think I've probably played uh, six or seven separate games of that, which for me, I don't play a lot of um, board or card games, so that's uh, quite a number for me. The other thing is, because I only just got a PS4, I went through the Uncharted's like crazy, uh, Uncharted 2, 3, 4, and uh, out of those, Uncharted 3 was the standout. Uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, because um, it's really polished and it's more Breath of the Wild. 
Lair of the Clockwork God because it's a puzzle platformer and those are two of my favorite genres going back and For the King because you know For the King and also Mario Galaxy because Mario Galaxy came out this year again uh, a surprising contender um Look, I really want to say Mario Galaxy should be the Mario Galaxy runner-up award for best game, but for me, I think Lair of the Clockwork God by Dan Marshall or Size 5 Games and Ben Ward. Um, I'm a long-time fan of the Ben and Dan adventures, and this was just so much smoother than the old ones, and it was so much funnier, and it was just so good. Um, I highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah, we should do an episode on adventure games, because I feel like that's a genre that sort of goes unnoticed um, a lot. And, you know, it's it's sort of like an evergreen genre. There's a dedicated audience of adventure game fans that, um, you know, they play those games almost exclusively and there's been a lot of evolution in them over the last few years. Yeah, it'd be interesting to go through sort of how they've grown as well. And, yeah, uh, highlight some of the things there. I know I only really came on when they got to graphical adventures. Like I played a bunch of the um, early LucasArts ones and a couple of the Sierra ones back in the day. But yeah, um, it's I've seen it come so far, and I'm, I'm really glad that something like Lair of the Clockwork God can exist. And also, like Broken Age when it came out, I was really happy with that. Um, and yeah. Uh, so Lair of the Clockwork God is mine. And out of Mokbok and Hades, what were you saying was the... I think I'd go for Hades just because, like I said, it it feels like a pinnacle of achievement. Yeah, I, I've heard so many good things. Um, so we've got to pick between Hades and Lair of the Clockwork God. How do we... This is for best game. So this is not a meager award. Oh, actually, for us, it is a meager award because it's not the game mechanic of the year award, which is the big one. So this is just fodder. We'll just pick... Um, well, let's go with Lair of the Clockwork God because I feel like Hades has got so many best game of the year awards that we might be able to court an audience through controversy. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, I mean, ours is the most prestigious, so they will come after us. Yeah. Um, so... The Mario Galaxy, yeah, Mario Galaxy runner-up award for best game is Lair of the Clockwork God. Hey, ooh, and Hades is not happy about that. They've, oh. they've stood up out of their chair and looks like they're leaving the award ceremony early. They're um punching out the usher. Oh no, the usher is actually usher as well. Yeah. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> the job seems beneath him, but uh. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not anymore. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're into the big two now. These are the most extreme awards that you can have on our podcast, The Game Design Hacks, and this is the hackiest award there is. This is the second last. It is the Montgomery Scott Award for Worst Mechanic. This goes Ooh. to the game... <laughs> Boo. <laughs> Boo me up, Scotty! (laughs) (laughs) This goes to the game with the single worst mechanic, but it has to be despite the fact that we played it. So if the game was complete garbage, um, maybe it doesn't win this award. But yeah. So for me, uh, even though I enjoyed it and spent quite a bit of time doing it, there are two mechanics from No Man's Sky here. There is the mining and there is the space travel. And they make up so much of the game. Now, the space travel is just the interplanet travel um, and the intergalaxy travel, which is just 
basically waiting for a minute. Um, there's nothing else really to that. The mining is very repetitive. It's improved over time uh, in the most recent build. Uh, I I used to be I used to joke that this was uh, this game would be called Every Man's Ground because of the amount of time that you're just in front of minerals shooting them with a laser um, and how similar every planet was to each other as far as the mining materials go. There's nothing particularly interesting there, so you feel like you're in a endless universe of the same. 10 minerals um then on top of that i have the fighting from paper mario origami kingdom which although it wasn't bad it was in place of you know possibly one of the greatest turn-based uh, rpg things for casuals that i've ever seen um one that went on to inspire a lot of western rpgs to you know take pieces that they liked from the jrpg thing and turn them into um you know more casual kind of play and so just for replacing that with something that was an overblown repetitive sudoku puzzle which was not all that bad but not that great uh paper mario origami kingdom you can go under the bus which you will likely survive as your paper thin uh funny that a fighting mechanic should be paper thin in a game about origami and then Lastly, and this is just going to win the award, as you know from the last episode of the podcast, it's Super Mario Party for the low movement numbers on boards, because hey. holy shit, <laughs> can you fuck that up worse? Uh, <laughs> if you need to know reasons, then go back to podcast one, where I kind of shit on this otherwise okay game with some good ideas. And Tom, oh. what did you have for this one? Well, my top number one pick which i think yeah this is the one i'm gonna go with it's elder scrolls blades um right it's it's bad for all the reasons that you know it's the most insidious and you know cynical game mechanic um time boxing loops from free-to-play mobile games they're there to by design to frustrate you into spending money um that's interesting what about like so is elder scrolls blades the mobile one yeah that's right okay so um you mentioned how animal crossing has some loops that are a bit like that but elder scrolls uh blades is you know one of your worst picks right so i mean i guess we'll get to the rest of your list in a moment but i am curious as to why it's um so bad because i have heard that from almost unanimously from everybody that's played it but i'm interested to know why well, in Animal Crossing, the like the scheduling loops are there, but there's nothing frustrating you. So you log on each day because you know that there's X number of new things which are there, but you're not punished for not doing them. And, um, you know, the biggest one is it's not trying to get you to spend money. Whereas right, in yeah. Elder Scroll Blades, it's game design which you can tell is put there to make you impatient enough to go well there's a quicker way around this if i break out my wallet and it's mm. you know i've spent game uh money on free-to-play games and you know like i'm not as sort of um militant about this as some other people are like you know i think free-to-play games have a place and you know game developers also like to get paid but when you're sort of you know deliberately hurting your game 
to um frustrate people into spending money on it then you know i think you know you track more flies with honey you know what would you say is the most egregious example of Elder Scroll Blades's, um, you know, I guess, money grubbing? Um, well, I think it's just the the main loop of acquiring resources. Like, um, you know, if you've worked on free to play games before, you um, you'd be familiar with the concept of pinch points, where um, yeah, you sort of reach a point where you know it's usually a few hours of sort of frictionless play into a game where the player reaches a point where, you know, either waiting times become so big or there's some barrier that's sort of so sort of um, shuddering that people will spend money to try and get around it. Um, yeah, it's 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 either that or there's like a, you know, a natural ebb and flow. And for a while, they make sure that the ebb and flow stays well within the achievable range and then eventually yeah they clamp down and that's where your pinch point starts yeah yeah and you know like it usually is like several hours into an experience and they're trying to like you know leverage you know basically the sunk cost fallacy where you're like well i've spent this many hours on the game (laughs) you know i can't give up now so you know i'll throw them some money and you know it's that's never the end of it like, as sort of as cynical as people are about battle passes, I think that's still a better way to monetize a free-to-play game than, you know, these sorts of um, mechanics. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. And also the cosmetic stuff is, is good like that too. I, I know that if there's vanity items and I'm enjoying a game, I will deck the hell out of my character, you know, and... And then as soon as it starts showing me cooler stuff, I start upgrading it too. And so sometimes something like Fortnite, even though I didn't play that much of it, I, I've, I'll spend 30, 40 bucks on Fortnite over um, maybe three months just because I wanted to look cool, even though it was not really for any other reason than just to see myself look better in the lobby. Yeah. Whereas, um, yeah, I think Fortnite, like, you know, there's problems with it, but that's a better way of doing it. Um, whereas, like, Elder Scrolls takes the approach of we're going to make our game suck until you pay us. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, Fortnite, like, you can have a fun time, you know, with the default skin um, regardless. Yeah. And there's never a point where it stops. (laughs) Yeah, it never stops going to squeeze in you. I think we could do a whole podcast on on free-to-play games as well and do some good and bad examples. Um, So that's... That's cool, but I guess we better move on with the other nominees. Yeah, like, I, I put Fallout 76 on there as well. And, like, I think the thing that sort of hurts the most is, like, they're both leveraging franchises which, you know, don't do that. And, yeah. you know, there, there's the promise of, you know, playing an Elder Scrolls game or a Fallout game, but it's... They've, um, they haven't taken the soul of the game that make those franchises worth playing, um... And they've yeah just turned it into a money press. Um, <laughs> but my yeah. um my my non Bethesda picks um were Stardew Valley, which I replayed this year, um and the mechanic of deteriorating fences that constantly need to be maintained. And yeah, Jurassic and this Park. is a game you otherwise like, is it? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of Stardew Valley. Um, yeah, and you know there's. I'll talk about my other pick as well, which is Jurassic Park Evolution, which I played at the start of the year for the exact same reason where 
fences break down and need to be maintained. And Stardew Valley does it better because you can get married in the game and your partner will sometimes randomly repair fences for you. Um, whereas in Jurassic Park Evolution, you have to do it manually every single time. And my problem with that is when simulation games work the best, it's when they become, you know, they're basically games about efficiency and um, creating, like, automated systems of, um, you know, improvement. So when there's something which you have to do manually, it's like maintenance, and there's no option to, um, you know, automate that in any way, it just becomes busy work. Mm. Whereas, like, the, the joy of those sorts of games is... Like, it's kind of like programming. It's building a system that takes care of itself. And, you know, if you're playing, like, City Skylines or something and you can sit back and cross your arms and go, ah, look at this, you know, beautiful circuit which, you know, takes care of itself. Um, that's that's what the satisfaction in those games are for me. And, you know, maintenance work where there's no way to um, upgrade around it is just frustrating and a missed opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So, we're going to pick between... Yours was Elder Scrolls, was it? Uh, yeah, you did say that. And then... Yeah. Mine was uh, Super Mario Party for low movement boards. And I think Elder Scrolls actually came out this year. And honestly, like we could dive right into why that's so problematic. Um, I, I'm happy to give that to Elder Scrolls if you want. Yeah, like, I mean... Oh, like, if we gave it to Mario Party, it kind of makes more sense, I think, because... That's a mechanic that if you changed that or fixed it, it would sort of lift the entire product. Whereas with Elder Scrolls, that's like so much at the core of the game. Like, I don't yeah, think changing okay. that would. Yeah. Now, this, this is a difficult one, um, I guess. But Super, yeah. Super Mario Party also wasn't this year. Like, I've, I've played that <laughs> last true. year as well. Uh, <laughs> Let's give it a Paper Mario Origami then. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, so, Paper so- Mario Origami Kingdom. Yep. Stephen Bradburying their way. So the Montgomery Scudderwood, the worst mechanic, goes to the fighting in Paper Mario Origami Kingdom. The Paper Mario series has had four games. Yeah, but the two front runners fell over, and then. Oh, so now it's also the winner of the Stephen Bradbury Award, the most surprising yeah. win. Yeah. Oh, Montgomery Scott has fallen over, coming up to the stage <laughs> to present the award, and Stephen Bradbury has come in from behind. Help me up, Scotty. <laughs> Wait, why would he say beam me up? Oh, God. I've, I've screwed this one up. I've fallen over on my way to the stage. All right, so that's um, that's the first win for Paper Mario, is it? It's the second win. I don't know. Who's keeping track? Uh, yeah, it's the first win for Paper Mario Origami Kingdom having the worst mechanic, even though it's not terrible. It's just on top. It's in place of a mechanic that was far, far better. Yeah, and I know but- they've done that for three games now. With um, Sticker Star being the start, uh, and then there was Color Splash on the Wii U, and they keep trying to recook the combat system into something that isn't uh, leveling up and and RPG based, and it just keeps suffering for it. And even though this is the best of them, again, it's still a sore spot on the side of an otherwise amazingly lovely game. Yeah, it's a little bit like the that's the price of innovation right they're they're not all going to be winners but um yeah i kind of wish the paper mario series would you know get back to basics and maybe channel some of that innovation in a different direction it's actually kind of interesting that 
no Nintendo games use leveling systems anymore. No modern Nintendo games use leveling systems. They seem to, even with uh, the Zelda series, which has kind of always been you need this item to get to this place, uh, with Breath of the Wild, they opened it right up. And uh, Paper Mario, which is meant to be an RPG, I mean, it's the spiritual successor to Super Mario RPG. They got rid of the leveling for Sticker Star and they haven't brought it back. Um, similarly, like the the barrier for entry for levels in Super Mario Odyssey is probably lower than any Mario game prior as far as the lock-offs and the gates. So it seems like Nintendo has decided at some stage to open up almost every property. And uh, for most of them, it's been a wild success. Uh, don't get me wrong, I still want to see a Zelda game with tight gates on it again at some point in the future. Um, but yeah, the Paper Mario series has really suffered from that decision I'm not sure if it's a mandate from up high, but I kind of hope that they do allow a couple of exceptions to the rule. Otherwise, when Metroid Prime 4 comes out, there's going to be some problems, right? Because Metroidvania is the classic lock and key system. Um, So I really want to see the Paper Mario series do um, its leveling better. But otherwise, what a lovely game. And what an unfortunate thing for it to win the worst mechanic award. Yep, bad luck. Doesn't feel fair. You know, fuck it, I'm giving it to No Man's Sky for the waiting two minutes to travel between planets. Ah, oh, fuck it, who cares, I don't... <laughs> Sean Murray is coming up to the stage, and he's fallen over despite promising the fact that he would run up to the stage with 18 quintillion times the speed of any other person. Ah, oh, just chaos, chaos on the stage at the moment. <laughs> nobody nobody makes it to the stage anymore. Well, let's let's bring our ceremony to a close with our final award for this evening, which is this is the big one, the Game Design Hacks Award for Game Mechanic of the Year. The Game Mechanic of the Year. Ooh, everyone's cheering. Ooh. Ooh. All right. What do you have, David? All right. So the game mechanic of the... Um, I also had the pinball platforming from Yoku's Island, uh, but that doesn't count because I didn't play it this year, but I just thought <laughs> everyone should play Yoku's Island. It's great. Um, the dungeon building from Boss Monster, which, as I mentioned, was a card game I, I played a lot, uh, considering I don't play a lot of card games uh, this year. And that's just you build dungeons to try to trap the other players' heroes in. Oh, sorry, not the other players' heroes, the most heroes. The game plays the heroes and you play the dungeons. And that's just really fun. And uh, the last one that gets an honourable mention uh, is Tricky Towers, uh, which is Tetris with physics. And that's never not fun. But I think the adventure platforming takes it. There is a... One instance where it's not fun, there was a um, officially licensed Pokemon game on Facebook's uh, instant game platform this year, which was a um, Pokemon-themed Tetris tower with physics. And really, it, yeah, it was bad. Like oh. it, um, yeah, it. I had to double check to make sure that it was an officially licensed game because you know it sort of looked like you know a bland Newgrounds game, um, right? Yeah, it's interesting you should say that, because, I mean, unlike Nintendo proper, Game Freak does have a slightly patchier record for that stuff, but nothing, like, actually bad. Yeah, no, it was, um, yeah, like, it just felt like a cheap game made by a high school student, and, you know, it had incredibly low numbers, but it was an official Pokemon (laughs) game project. Right. 
Yeah, well, Tricky Tower's definitely got a lot of play. It was, but it's kind of, it always does get a lot of play with me. I've had it for three or four years, so I think it's kind of disqualified for that. Um, but yeah, uh, so for me, Lair of the Clockwork God uh, for its adventure platforming and mixing between the two. It's just seamless and it's great. There's another thing about Lair of the Clockwork God that I can't mention because the game mechanic itself would spoil something about the game and it's just fucking ingenious. There is a thing that you kind of feel as though the game, let's just say, lacks polish in a certain area until it kind of reveals that it's intentional. Uh, I won't go any further in describing that because I highly recommend everybody should play Lair of the Clockwork God. More of (laughs) everything in the package is in the game. It seems like it's more than the one game package and it seems like it's being continually updated and all kinds of things like that. But it's just important to remember that everything is the game. Fascinating. Um, Yeah. Absolutely blew me away. And it's easily the funniest game I've ever played like just so goddamn funny everything about it well I'll definitely be adding it to the increasingly long to play list <laughs> <laughs> this podcast was a bad idea we have no oh, free man. time left <laughs> yeah and there's like a new a new year starting we'll be just finishing up 2020s games by the time we have to do this again actually I have a feeling that some of the dev impact is really going to hit this year um, you know, I, th- I feel like Cyberpunk was the first sign that things might be slipping as far as intended release dates. Um, just because, you know, there's it's a bit different when you've got, you know, working from home in the games industry. An industry that kind of traditionally has applied a lot of pressure in the workplace on getting results and putting in extra for it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, like, this year was, like, really fascinating for that because... Um, sort of famously, uh, Animal Crossing was delayed and it, des- like, with the intention of, you know, we don't want to make our um, developers work overtime to get this game out. And, you know, Nintendo stocks took a battering because of it. But <laughs> in the long run, it ended up being, you know, this amazing, you know, best-selling game, like Nintendo's top-selling game. And then you got a game like Cyberpunk, where it's clearly been rushed to get out to, you know, appease investors and you know the board of directors and you know they they've paid for it like um Mm. and also hades being a you know remarkable story of you know uh enforcing holidays for their workers and um making sure that they you know nobody crunched at any point during the project and again that translating to the product and being this amazing success story so um yeah the the world of Game development has definitely changed in the last year, and um, be interesting to see how that continues. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think, yeah, we just want to see games take their time. I know that it doesn't seem like that because there are a vocal minority that are you know saying we want it now, but you know, there's always going to be that. There's always going to be the people that are pushing on the release it now thing, but they don't really know that they, you know, that they aren't going to get what they want if they do that yeah and mostly i just don't want to be killed by overwork yeah (laughs) yeah anyway um my best mechanics of the year um my my first nomination is going to be the longing for a uh 400 day 
play cycle. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you just can't beat that value for money. <laughs> um, yeah. My my next real uh, nomination is uh, Among Us, and um, just the way that it has managed to bridge the gap between uh, you know social mechanics in a video game. And yeah. again, like I think that's such a fertile ground for games. Um, and you know, like as you know, the planet has been learning how to better socialize and communicate, you know, digitally. Um, mm. I, I just hope games keep up with that. Um, so yeah, it feels like the the beginning of a um a revolution in um online gaming. Uh, but my absolute favorite mechanic I've seen in any game either digital or um, analog, um, was from the role-playing game Morkborg, where at the start of every session you roll some dice to see if the apocalypse happens. Right. And, uh, yeah, it's, um, like, because it's this, you know, death metal-inspired game, um, this one particular random table just drips with so much theme and, um, like, it's it's written out almost like a bible psalms um right, and the yeah. role that you get relates to you know which passage it is so you end up like basically building your own apocalypse as the game <laughs> progresses so it's like one day oh yeah no the apocalypse is advancing so now like you know poisonous toads rain from the sky or you know all the children in the world die and just you know crazy yes. stuff like that but it's um it's so fucking badass i love it yeah that that sounds like it's right up my alley yeah no you we gotta play this game then <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah it, it does sound very death metal as well yeah that's cool all right so, so we have to choose between those two for the game design hacks this is the most important award so we have to find the most important way to award it. I think maybe it requires a little bit of game design. Ooh. Ooh. What, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm going to write down both of our names into a hat. <laughs> ah. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> um, maybe we both roll for it. Hey, I got a jar full of dice on my table. And I have a JavaScript console in which I can write math.random and multiply it by six. They're using a D6. I was going to get a D20 uh, out. Uh, well, I can literally type any number. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go D20. Analog versus digital. It's like uh, Deep Blue versus Kasparov. It looks like the console's previewing my answer. You know how it does that thing where it evaluates? <laughs> <laughs> I rolled a 16. I rolled an 8. An 8. Oh, no. Analog Games wins again. <laughs> Okay, so the Game Design Hacks Award for Game Mechanic of the Year goes to Mokborg. Mokborg. Yes. Hey. Well, we definitely have to play it now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And likewise, I recommend you play the runner-up, Lair of the Clockwork God. And it might seem like I'm talking to Tom, but I'm talking to everybody, because that guy needs everybody's support at the moment, because I want him to make another one very badly. <laughs> Well, all right, excellent. I'll, I'll put that onto download now. <laughs> cool. Yeah, likewise. So this has been the Game Design Hacks Game Design of the Year Awards, 
and we are happy to have given it to Morkborg, or at least one of us is. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So I guess until next time, I've been Dale. I've been Tom. Uh, thanks for listening. What's out? Wait, wait, do we have a catchphrase? Uh, keep designing the games. Keep designing the games. Ta-da! Yeah.